Good morning. My name's Tim. It's great to be amongst all of you, church family and friends, and, and worship together. Um, we are this morning carrying on or re- restarting our, our series in the book of Matthew, Being with Jesus. We've, we finished last week our series, God's Plan for Our Well-Being. And we're going to be in this Matthew series through most of next year. We're in Matthew chapter 2 this morning, which um, I'll read now, and then we will, we're going to have a good look at. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you open it up, Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all, killed all, the, wise, all, the, all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. We're probably fairly familiar with a good chunk of the passage we've read today. It's often the fair of nativity films, Christmas carol, Christmas cards. You've got the images of the angels and the gifts. We're probably quite familiar with the main characters. We've got the evil, treacherous arch-villain, King Herod. And we have the, the noble, generous, wise men who, who come from Persia and travel. We're probably quite familiar with this story. And, and Matthew, the author of this book, in a sense, was quite familiar with this story too. Not because he'd seen it in nativity films, but because he'd seen it across the entire Old Testament before. 
Matthew loves the Old Testament. He includes it three times verbally in the passage we've just read. And he quotes from it three times in the passage we've just read. He loves the Old Testament. And he, and he quotes from three different prophets, Micah, Hosea, then Jeremiah. He'd seen this story play out in those prophets in the Old Testament before. The nativity story can become quite familiar to us. It can be as, as overly familiar, as, as 2D as an advent, as a Christmas card. But there is great richness when we see what Matthew is doing as he weaves in Old Testament references and parallels as he explains to us what he's doing by showing us how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. You see, across the Old Testament, the hopes and promises of the, the people of Israel, God's people, had snowballed. They got larger and larger and larger across the years. Hopes for a new good king. Hopes for security in a home, hopes for restoration, a lot of the hopes that we might have as well. And Matthew, as he introduces us to Jesus at the start of chapter two, is saying all these hopes in the Old Testament, they all form up on this one man he wants to introduce us to, to Jesus. We're going to start today with one of the more familiar um, bits in the nativity scene. We're going to start with looking at the, the wise men and, and the first quotation we have from the Old Testament. So we have these, these, these wise men. They traveled for a couple of years to get to Israel. They were astrologers. They'd, they knew that there was a king to be born in Israel, and they spent years traveling to Israel to go and worship this new king. And they go to the capital, and they go and meet the, the current king, King Herod. In a sense, quite a, a sensible thing to do if you're looking for the new king. And they meet King Herod, and King Herod also wants to find this boy king, but for a very different reason. I mean, we're, we're all insecure, but I don't know how insecure you have to be to be insecure about a baby, but Herod is really threatened and insecure about this baby boy who he knows is being, uh, he is being born in Israel, and he wants to find him and kill him. So both the wise men and Herod want to find this baby king. And then we get this quotation, we get this revelation of, of where he will be. And here we have our first um, quotation from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Micah. And it's when the priests say this, that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When we hear those words just then, we just hear words that we're told, I'm telling you now, are a quotation from the Old Testament. We don't think of much else. But when the original audience, when Matthew hears those words, he would think of all that the book of Micah is and all that the book of Micah says. In the same way that if, when we hear the words, I have a dream, we don't just hear those four words. We hear Martin Luther King Jr., the American civil rights movement, hope for a better future. Or in a slightly different way over the past few days, I've loved listening to, to Christmas songs on repeat. And when I listen to them, it carries some of the, the feeling and nostalgia and emotion of past Christmases. So we're going to look for a moment as to what's going on in Micah. What, what would we hear 
from the book of Micah? What is Matthew doing as he, as he weaves it into his story? Well, Micah starts off with a message of judgment for the people of Israel. He says they're going to be uprooted. They're going to be taken into a foreign land that the nations are going to come and invade and trample on Israel. It's looking quite dark. But he says, and there's this, there's this great kind of thread of hope, that there will be a new king, a king like David was, a descendant of David, a good king, who in, in Micah 5, 4, we see... I'm going to need to ask more for more bookmarks for Christmas. Um, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. A good shepherd king will come. Micah says that instead of the nations coming to trample on Israel, the nations will come and worship. That instead of the nations coming and looting the wealth of Israel, the nations will come and bring tribute. And then in the centerpiece of the book of Micah, we have the bit that Matthew quotes, that this one will be born in Bethlehem. That's where David was born. The good king was born. That he will be born in Bethlehem, but Micah says he is of ancient days. That's another way of saying he's from everlasting. We've got one of God, sent from God, born in Bethlehem. And so Matthew is saying to us in this passage here that this little, this boy born to this seemingly unlikely couple in this small town of Bethlehem is he. He is this new king. He's saying to us, don't you see that Micah promised that the nations would come and they, instead of trampling Israel, they would bring worship. And so he would say to us, look at verse 11. And these wise men, these people from the nations Going into the house, they saw the child of Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. That Micah promised that one day the nations wouldn't loot Israel for its gold, but they would come and bring gold. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Matthew is saying that here is the promised king. He's born in Bethlehem like David was. The creator come to bring restoration to creation. You see, there are, there are two kings in Matthew 2. We have one who is treacherous and murderous and evil, and one who is entirely unlike him. One who we are told and are prophesied that will be a good shepherd king. Micah 2 describes him as one who will gather his people like sheep in a fold, and as his king, he will lead them. We are sheep. That's the, the consistent um, testimony of Scripture, that we are like sheep. We are not self-sufficient but needy. We're not independent but dependent. Sheep need uh, a shepherd. Sheep wander left to their own in intentions. And like sheep, we, we need a shepherd. We're not meant to have it sorted on our own. And so as Ezekiel 34 promises, where the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will look after them. Here he has come. He himself has come to search for a sheep and look after him. His sheep hear his voice. They know the truth of the gospel when they hear it. He is the good shepherd who has come. Do you know he rejoices over you, who was once a lost sheep and is now found? 
He is the good shepherd, the good shepherd who cares for his sheep and has laid down his life for you. The good shepherd who will surely keep you safe, who will make you lie down in green pastures. The good shepherd who, whilst we walk through death and evil, we need not fear, for his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Do you trust him? He has come to be your shepherd king. He is the, the son of David, the new king. That's what Matthew's telling us. Are your eyes on him? How do we respond to the idea that Jesus is our king? There are a number of, of, of right ways to that. I think it's instructive, the answer we're given in Psalm 116. How do we respond that Jesus is our king? Well, this is what God says in Psalm 116, which considers this question. It says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Saying, how do we respond to the fact that Jesus is our, is our, is our king, he is our shepherd? We, we treasure our salvation and we call to him for help. That in a sense, the truest response to God's grace is in wonder to ask for more of it. He is our shepherd king. To lean upon him when I'm at the end of myself, when I'm feeling utterly exhausted, going to him for strength and comfort that glorifies him, that honors him, that is how we are to respond to him. Matthew is saying that Micah is fulfilled, the son of David is here, the shepherd king has come, and he's gathering his sheep. Matthew shows that Jesus fulfills the hopes and promises of the Old Testament. He's also showing that Jesus fulfills Israel's history. Okay, so let's think about the characters in the story for a moment. We have an evil King Herod, and he's going to stop at nothing to make sure that the promises on, on this baby boy don't come to pass, because he's threatened by them for his own position. And so he, he plots to kill the, the young children of Israel. For Matthew writing this, there would have been a weird sense of, of deja vu. Because, as we said, we've heard it all before. Herod seems to be doing a really good job of playing the role of Pharaoh. You see, Herod fears the promises of God coming true on this, on this boy. As Pharaoh, the, the ruler of the Egyptians who, who held the Israelites in slavery, feared the promises of God coming true on the people of Israel. King Herod decides to kill the baby boys of Israel. As King Pharaoh, many years before, killed, the, killed the, the children of Israel in the River Nile. Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, they flee King Herod at night, like the Israelites had many years before fled king, the Pharaoh, another king, at night. And as um, Jesus and his family take foreign treasure as they go, the gift they've just been given. So too, the Israelites many years before took the gold of Israel, the gold of Egypt as they went. And so then here Matthew brings in his second Old Testament quotation. And it's from Hosea. And Hosea writes, out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Hosea isn't looking forward. It isn't a promise for the future. Hosea is looking back to history. But then Matthew is saying that Jesus fulfills all of history. That the very shape and curve of history is pointing towards Jesus and finds its home in him. That days of old have rehearsed of him, but here is the real thing. That he is now on the stage. History points to him, and it illuminates what he's doing. History points to Jesus, and it illuminates what he's doing. Because Matthew 2 is, is showing us that the Jesus story is an Exodus story. That he has come to take his people out of slavery to sin and death and to bring them to freedom. Take them out of bondage to, to God-defying self-centeredness. And as we've heard in our worship, to break our chains and to set us free. The world would say to us, yes, you can be free. Just follow your heart. Do whatever you want. You can be free. But this is the freedom of, I mean, have you ever, have you ever seen a, a, a fish on the land flapping helplessly and thought, well, that fish is finally free of the water? Or um, if a tram came off the tram tracks, you wouldn't think, oh, that tram has been freed from those rails. Or if I'm on a roller coaster and it becomes free, I'm never shouting, freedom. <laughs> This isn't, isn't real freedom. Je Jesus has come to bring real freedom. Freedom to live the life that we were designed to live. Freedom to enjoy God. Freedom to be in God's family, be in the community of God's people. Jesus has come to bring real freedom. And Matthew was showing us that that is the mission that Jesus is on. It is an Exodus mission. And that's an Exodus mission it starts here and it runs all the way to the cross. That as the Egyptians drowned under the Red Sea as the Israelites crossed the ground with the water on both sides onto solid ground, so too at the cross, Jesus drowned under the water of God's judgment so that we, his people, could pass through onto solid ground through the waters of death into life. Whenever we have a baptism, that's what we're testifying to each other, that we are those who have passed through the waters of death into life. Jesus' story is an Exodus story. The shepherd king has come, and he's taking his people on an Exodus. We come now to um, the third of the, of the three Old Testament passages that, Ma that Matthew quotes. And this is from Jeremiah. And it's during a scene that doesn't often end, end up in nativity scenes. It probably won't be in family carols next week. It's a darker note. Matthew ends this bit on a note of suffering. As Herod carries out his plans to, to kill the children of Israel... Matthew doesn't shy away from real pain and suffering at this point. It's a dark moment for Israel. But in doing this, Matthew draws us to another dark moment in Israel's history. He quotes Jeremiah 31:15, which says this: "A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more." 
Matthew draws us to this, this time in Israel's history when they were being uprooted and sent to exile, a time of suffering where it would have felt like, where is God in all of this? Mary, too, probably could have thought that, having heard all the promises of God on the baby that she'd just given birth to and trusting God, but now finding herself so soon driven away from the community of God's people, away from friends and family into a foreign nation. Where is God in all of this? But there's a reason that Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31. And it's because Jeremiah 31 is a, is a chapter of hope. When we, when we hear this verse here, verse 15, his intention is for us to hear the very next verse, which I'm going to read to us now. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is reward for your work, declares the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Jeremiah 31 is a, is a chapter of hope and restoration to Israel. And Matthew is saying that this hope, that this promised restoration is fulfilled and is here now in that Jesus is here. Matthew is saying that none of this is in vain, that the one who makes all things new is here. And while there is suffering and darkness for a time, the one is here who will make all things new. As we, as we heard a moment ago, we're currently in, in the church calendar in a time called Advent. Advent looks at the dark, at the suffering in the world and in our own lives. It recognizes the pain, the pain of injustice and inequality and abuse. The pain of children lost to us or who never were. The pain of deep disappointment and loneliness when we might think, where is God in this? Advent looks at the dark and Advent longs and waits for when Jesus is to come again. Matthew doesn't pretend that, that now Jesus is here, all the darkness is gone, but he does give us the certainty that the one is, is here who will bring restoration, who will bring us to our heavenly home, who will make all things new, that our suffering will make way for glorification that God, having given us his son, will surely give us all things. That God, having tied himself to us in the incarnation, will surely come again in the second coming. That the very logic of the universe, as a friend of mine likes to say, is no longer life, then death. But now it's death, then life. Cross, then empty tomb. Night, then dawn. He is our shepherd king who has delivered us from sin and will surely lead us home. There is, there is suffering in our lives at the moment. And, we, and we, as Romans 8 says, we join with all creation in groaning for him to return and make all things new. But we know him as our shepherd in it. He will be faithful to us. Could we have the band up, please, somebody? More than wise men, angels, gold, and myrrh. More than the typical nativity scene. Here is so much more. The coming of the Messiah, the fulfillment of all Old Testament desire, 
the pinnacle of all history, the second person of the Trinity, humbling himself to human frame, the glory of the Father's fame, born in Bethlehem a king, the good shepherd come to seek and save. By virgin womb and virgin tomb, through rushing waters he leads us home. Here is our great king. Now death, where is your sting? Let's worship.